This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Hope Church. Whether you're in the room, watching online, or listening to the podcast, you're very welcome. My name is Mark, I'm one of the lead pastors here. Now I heard a fun pastor joke the other day, so just bear with me. Uh, A man was praying to God one day, and he said, Lord, you know how to you a thousand years is just like one day. And God said, yes. And the man said, and God, you know how to you a million pounds is just like a penny. And God says, yes. So the man said, God, would you give me a million pounds? And God says, sure, give me a day to arrange that. (laughs) Now, before we get going, um, Richard has got a quick uh, announcement. Can you get? Um, I just want to do a quick plug. Um, as you know, we're running Alpha at the moment, and it's week three, so we're looking at the uh, why Jesus had to die uh, today. But we're also running a bookshop uh, next door, and I just want to make it available uh, to the church. So there's a selection of, of books down there. If you want to go and have a look during uh, coffee time after the end, it's the, uh, the room on the right after you pass the, the coffee area. And there's a selection of books there. There are um, biographies like Chasing the Dragon, and I know we're looking at the Holy Spirit at the moment in the home group, so that's a really great testimony to read. Um, We've got uh, things, Pete Gregg's How to Pray, and Wise Got on Mute um, next door as well. So if you're looking for some help in prayer time, and there's also the the Bible in one year, and there's a selection of others, but there's... uh, Uh, If you go in there, you'll find um, a sheet there. If there's a single book, then just leave me the money and just make a note that you've taken it. If you want to order one because it's not there or you you can wait till next week, then scribble down your name and I'll get it for you for next week. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. I do recommend um, Chasing the Dragon if you you never read it. I think... One of the first Christian books I ever read when I kind of first became a, a Christian, someone said at the CU at school, oh, you ought to read this. And it was uh, truly mind-blowing. Okay, let's, let's have a quick pray. Heavenly Father, speak through me this morning. Open our ears to hear what you want to say, Lord God. I pray that your message comes out to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I need to pray that prayer because I'm feeling a bit whimsical, so that might, that might show up. It's been a busy week, but you know, I, was, I so enjoy writing sermons. I think just the excuse to take a day aside and just soak in God's Word is, uh, I recognize it for the blessing that it is. Right, before we start, I've got a quick quiz, and what I want you to do is to put your hand up when you think you know the answer 
to the question. The question is, what is it I'm describing? I'm not going to pick on you, anything like that. But I just want to get a... Oh, well, I might pick on Steve. But apart from that, um, I just want to, to see how long it takes you to work out what I'm talking about as I go through these clues. Okay. What am I describing? Put your hand up when you think you know. Scientists and children can describe it, but we don't really know what causes it or how it really works. It happens one and a half billion times every year, right here on planet Earth. There are three kinds, and the kind that occurs the least often is the one that we've analysed and studied the most. Mostly, it happens over land. Mostly, it happens in the tropics. It can happen near volcanoes, or forest fires, or dust storms, or tornadoes, or snowstorms, but mostly it happens when it rains. What is it? It's lightning. 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 See, we know that lightning is real. The youngest child in Debbie's class in the school next door could draw us a picture of lightning and talk about how scary it is. But if we were to go and find the smartest scientists at Oxford or Cambridge University and ask them to explain to us exactly how lightning works, they don't know. They've got a general idea, but as soon as you get start asking, yeah, but how does that happen? But how, how does that? Quickly, we get into theory and not fact. We cannot prove or explain exactly how lightning works. Yet we can all see its effects. We all accept the reality of it, even though we can't really explain how it works. Now, we have a general idea. There's some bits of cloud get a positive charge, and some bits of cloud get a negative charge, or the Earth gets negative charged. And the lightning is the electrostatic discharge as the two charges neutralize themselves. Yeah, I'm sure you recognize the explanation from geography lessons at school. But if you start digging a little deeper and say, yeah, but, but exactly how does a positive charge build up in this bit of cloud? Quickly we get to the realm of, well, maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. And perhaps this happens, and then scientists get into a fight in the pub car park because they don't actually agree about how lightning works. We don't understand exactly how it works, but we accept the reality of it, and it affects the way we design our buildings and our aeroplanes. The reality of its existence is not disputed. But we don't understand how it works. Have you ever caught yourself or been in a conversation with someone who refuses to accept the reality of something because they don't understand how it works, as if that lack of understanding is a good enough reason not to believe in something. In 1884, a maths teacher called Edwin Abbott Abbott, yes, that really was his name. What were his parents thinking? He was called Edwin Abbott Abbott. Although perhaps because he was a maths teacher, he called himself Edwin Abbott Squared. I don't know. So I'm feeling very nerdy today, I did warn you. So Edwin Abbott Squared was a maths teacher 
and an Anglican priest. And in 1884, he wrote a story, a short novella called Flatland. And Flatland is a very clever story because it's based on the adventures of a square called Mr. Square who lives in a land that is flat. Can you imagine how he got the name for his book? Flatland. Flatland is a two-dimensional world. Two dimensions means, well, you've got left and right is the first dimension. Up and down is the second dimension. Okay? Their world is like a flat piece of paper with pencil drawings on it. Nothing, nothing has any height. And in this book, Flatland, Mr. Square, he leaves his two-dimensional world and he goes on an adventure to a one-dimensional land where everyone is either a dot or a straight line. And they actually can't really perceive Mr. Square because he's got two dimensions and their brains only work in one dimension and they, they, they don't get him and they don't understand what they're really encountering. And then when Mr. Square returns to his own two-dimensional land, he receives a visit from a sphere, from a ball. But because Mr. Square can only see and understand the universe in the sense of two dimensions, he perceives this ball just as a circle in his flat land. Maybe he can sense that there's more to it. There's more to this circle than meets the eye, but he, he doesn't really get it. So we've got a little picture here. The bottom is what Mr. Square can see. So like the little yellow line with the, the, the green square. And you can see the flat land and the, the sphere passing through it. So as the sphere passes through flat land, the circle kind of grows and it goes a bit further and it kind of shrinks again. All Mr. Square sees is this circle that grows and shrinks and disappears. He doesn't actually ever see the whole sphere. There's this whole other reality there that he just cannot wrap his mind around. Hold on to that concept. We'll turn back to it later. So in today's scripture, we're continuing our very slow walk through the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. It's the story of the life, the death, the life again of Jesus and the birth of the Christian church. And today we are in Luke Chapter 10, verse 17. And we're continuing on from what uh, Dave and Sue were talking about the last couple of weeks. Jesus has gathered his wider group of disciples. And we're not talking about the 12. It's now grown to another, on top of that 12, 70 or 72. And Jesus sends them all out in groups two by two to start preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The Bible says it's to prepare the ground for the towns that Jesus was going to visit next. And just a little aside before we dig into today's passage. When I was rereading the last couple of weeks' um, passages, I was struck by this just kind of great practicality of Jesus. Now, we can sometimes get so super spiritual about stuff. And we imagine that, you know, we'll have a little prayer, we'll just turn up and everything will happen magically. You won't have to put any work in. Not so with Jesus. He was planning on visiting these towns, so he sent people on ahead of him. I mean, these were his warm-up act. You know, Jesus had a warm-up act. He sent these people out two by two to start talking in these towns, to start stirring up interest. Jesus used his team to get the job done. And in today's passage, that team returns. Reading for verse 17. And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, just four sentences this week, but there's a lot to unpack, so we'll give it a go. No one's got any plans this afternoon. Yeah, you've got a couple of hours. So verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You know, they were excited. They'd been out and they'd, this stuff works, you know. They were so excited. They'd watched Jesus perform these miracles. They'd watched the 12 disciples perform miracles. And now they'd gone out and the same thing was happening for them. They were casting out demons, the oppressed, the sick were being made well. They were, they'd done the same stuff that they'd seen Jesus do. They were exuberant. They were, I can imagine they were like telling each other stories. Yeah, yeah, I told that demon where to go, and it went. I said to that child, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and he ran away. And another one said, yeah, and I sent this demon into a guinea pig. <laughs> well, Jesus sent him into a crowd of pigs, and all I had was a guinea pig, so... Maybe not. Maybe I'm making that bit up. But you get the idea. They were excited. They were full of themselves. They were exuberant. And what does Jesus say? Well done, lads. Good job. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What? You know, what? Is Jesus talking about? And what has this got to do with his happy and excited disciples? Well, as I was reading this, I was kind of getting a couple of ideas and reading through some commentaries. There's basically three dominant um, theories about exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because this little exchange only is recorded in Luke's gospel. So we haven't got any others to, to compare it to. Option one is that Jesus was actually referring to something that is in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground. So this is a quote from a prophecy that was originally given to the king of Babylon by the prophet Isaiah. But as is the the way with prophecy, it is also at the same time about the fall of this spiritual being, who had desired to become great and mighty like the Most High, to set himself up to become an object of worship, to even have his own throne. So at one level, Jesus is saying, careful with that pride there, lads. Just just watch. Remember what happened to Satan when he got a bit full of himself. Sobering thought. Now another theory, and I quite like this one as well, is that Jesus was talking about a vision that he had had about what was happening in the spiritual realm as those 70 disciples were out there preaching the gospel. And as a result of what they were doing in these towns, actually it caused an impact in the spiritual realm and Satan had a stumble. And the final option, option three, is that some say that actually this is Jesus looking prophetically towards Satan's eventual and final defeat, either when Jesus is raised from the dead 
or the final victory in the book of Revelation on the Day of Judgment. So that's what the greatest minds in Christendom think, options one, two, and three. Personally, I think is option four, which is all of the above at the same time because of, you know, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Or, if you're a fan of The Good Place, it's because of Jeremy Beremy. There's, there's blank looks all around, right? If you've not seen the show, The Good Place, okay, there's... At, at some point, okay, they're describing what, it, what the timeline of the universe looks like and how convoluted and crazy it is. And then they point out, actually, it looks like someone's drawn the signature of Jeremy Beremy. And in fact, it's all crazy. And this bit here, that's that crazy moment in time between Christmas and New Year when no one ever knows what's going on or what day of the week it is. Okay, so that's just all made up. Even Doctor Who is made up, mostly. Um, <laughs> but the, the point is, when you try and kind of correlate and understand the flow of time in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm it appears that it doesn't actually work in the same way. The Bible does in fact say that to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. You know, the potentate of time is not bound by the clock. So the thing with, is it prophecy, and when you start thinking about the spiritual realm altogether, what we see and experience here on earth, it's a bit like we're in flatland and we can see the circle but we can't see the sphere. We see the connection, the impinging of the spiritual into the physical, but we can't see everything that is going on. But we can see the effects, the side effects, but we can't see the whole thing. In fact, Paul, you know, he talks a lot about mysteries. Half the mysteries are what Paul writes. What is he on about? But he says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, for now, we, it's like we're looking in a mirror dimly. But eventually, when we get to heaven, we'll see things, we'll see Jesus face to face. For now, we can only know in part. But when we get to heaven, when we're in the spiritual realm, we shall know fully. So when Jesus is saying to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning, I'm actually pretty comfortable with the idea that Jesus was referring to the initial fall of Satan when his pride got the better of him and he was thrown out of heaven. And... Jesus was talking about the impact in the spiritual realm of the disciples going out and preaching the gospel. And he was looking forward to his final victory upon the cross and the day of judgment because of you know, Jeremy Berman. See, our human minds cannot understand God. Our physical bodies cannot fully experience the supernatural realm. As Christians, we're 3D people living in a 2D world. We can start to perceive things that other people can't perceive. We're trying to explain things that we can't really see. And when we do try and explain it, it comes out just like sounding like the book of Daniel. And it's just like crazy stuff. But I think the important bit, the important thing in what Jesus said, is that he's talking in the past tense. He's talking about something which has happened and is truth. Satan has fallen from Jesus' vantage point as the Son of God. And because of that, because of that assured victory, he's able to go on and say in verse 19, behold, I have given you, I have, past tense, given you 
It was Jesus' to give the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So the disciples were only effective out there on the mission field because of the authority that Jesus had given them. It wasn't their own cleverness. It wasn't their own talent. You know, there's no room for pride here. Jesus gives the ability. And it's Jesus who gives all of us the ability and the authority. And we would do well to remember that and not to become too full of our own cleverness. Jesus reinforces this in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, don't go rejoicing in this, that the spirits are subject to you, this power you've got, this authority. What's more important? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yeah? Don't get distracted in all the doing, says Jesus. Remember the point of all of this. Remember the mission, what we're aiming for. And the idea of having your name written in heaven was very familiar to the Jewish believers. It's a feature of many Old Testament prophecies, other kind of uh, Jewish writings that we discover out from outside the Bible in the Dead Sea Scrolls or something like that. Here's one example from uh, the book of Daniel. I was talking about how the book of we start reading prophecy, it sounds a bit crazy. Book of Daniel, verse seven, uh, chapter 7, it says this. It says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient days, that's God himself, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. God's got wheels on his throne. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Um, a stream of fire issued and came out before him, and a thousands of thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court, it sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Yeah, the books were opened. And later on in Daniel, we read in, in chapter 12, he says, At that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So there's this idea that there's, there's these books in heaven where our ultimate destiny is written down. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, he has his vision of the end of days, and he says in chapter 20, verse 12, he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. As Sue was saying last week, God is fair, and the judgments that come down at the end are based on what we've done, but the, the most important thing we ever do is make sure our name is included in that book of life. Verse 14, it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into that lake of fire. Now, your name is written in the book of life the moment you put your faith in Jesus. At that moment, all you have ever done or not done suddenly counts for nothing on the final day. Except for one thing, the fact that you decided to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because at that moment, your name is added to the book of life. Now, it might sound a little harsh, and sometimes people will say things like, well, how could, how could a loving God have lakes of fire and judgment? How can you believe in a God like that? Well, you know, looking at the news, 
and man's inhumanity to man and all the horrible, evil things, not just in Ukraine, but all over the world. I don't think I could worship a God who would let that stuff slide and not say, there will be consequences if you treat each other like that. Now, this thing with the books can be a little bit confusing because the Bible also says that the names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, Revelation 13. So how can the books be written before we live? Does that matter that our, mean that our choices are predetermined? Who's going to be in the book and who's not in the book? And, and if, if what's in the book is already predetermined, why did Jesus bother sending his disciples out to preach the gospel? And why do we run alpha courses to try and get people to become Christians? Well, my new favorite answer to these head-scratching questions is, well, that's Jeremy Beremy. It's all wibbly-wobbly-tiny-wimey. Because when it comes to trying to understand these things that Paul the Apostle called the mysteries, we need to recognize that we are just Mr. Square, living in our little two-dimensional world, and we're trying to make sense of a sphere or something with even more dimensions than that, that we just can't wrap our heads around it. And actually trying to come up with an explanation that our human minds can understand, that describes God's sphericalness, or more than that, simply diminishes God and turns the sphere into a circle. If I can describe God, he's not God, right? If he's so small that my human mind can describe him, then he ain't God, is he? So it's good to try and understand, right? But we need to be humble enough to recognize that we won't ever understand properly. And anyone who's bold enough to say, well, I'm so clever, I know exactly how it works, and this is the theology, and if you don't follow that, then you're all wrong and you're all going to hell, is a bold person who is clearly as clever as God. I don't know how it could be that the book of life was written before the foundation of the world and there's still free will and the need to share the gospel around Alpha courses. But what I do know is Jesus said, here are some things I want you to do. So let's focus on doing the stuff that Jesus was clear about and leave the rest to Jeremy Beremy. Our final dwelling place in the city of God the new heaven and the new earth, the end of the book. You know, the Bible is this wonderful circular story. It starts off with God dwelling with mankind, walking with us in the cool of the afternoon in the garden. And the Bible ends with God dwelling with man and perfect harmony and everything that was broken has been restored. And Revelation chapter 21, verse 23 says, and the city, the new city that God has made, has no need for a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamp Jesus. The glow of Jesus illuminates everything. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it all the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, the only ones who are welcome into God's heaven, God's family home, 
are God's family. Jesus says to his disciples at one point in John 14, he says, listen, listen to what I'm saying to you. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So we must keep all this in context. The greatest work, the ultimate prize, is having your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because on that final day, that is the only thing that is going to count for all of eternity. This, this world that we can see and feel and touch is but one plane of reality. There is this another realm, the supernatural, and we can see its effects on our world. But we won't really see it properly with eyes wide open until Jesus returns and gathers his church up. And then the Bible says we shall see him as he truly is. But if you're listening to me today and you recognize that there's this sense of the more, you can sense the sphere even if you can only see the circle. Something missing that you just can't quite touch but you yearn after it. You know, that is God's spirit calling to you. And it's your choice whether or not your name is found in that Lamb's book of life. The Bible says in Romans 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Nothing more complicated or onerous than that. So I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Why don't we all pray together? And if this is the first time you're going to pray this prayer, pray along with us. And for everyone else, we can confirm this choice. It'll come up on the screen as well. Lord Jesus, I declare you are my Lord. I believe that you died for me and were raised from the dead by the power of God. Thank you for saving me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and show me how to serve you this week. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, welcome to the family. Please speak to me. One of the team would love to bless you with a gift and help you get to know Jesus better. Our time here is pretty much up. Our Alpha course is continuing down the corridor at 12 o'clock today. During the week, we've got home groups meeting on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. If you'd like to know more, please speak to me uh, after the service. If you're one of the regular worshippers here at Hope Church, if you're part of our family, then you can support our ministry financially. Um, the details are on our website and on the screen as well, thehope.church/give, or talk to me or Claire Eaton, our treasurer, if you would like more information about that. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a good week, Hope Church. Feel free to hang around. There's some refreshments outside. And we'll see you all again very soon. Bye for now.